I'm going to first look in the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter. So let's, um, let's turn there together. Matthew 16. I'll begin reading with verse number 13. The Bible said, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He said, Who, who are people saying that I am? How do they, how do they identify me? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You can tell that people had various opinions and perspectives about who they thought he was. And you and I have the advantage being on this side of the text to realize that he wasn't John the Baptist, come back from the dead. He wasn't Elias. He wasn't Jeremiah. He wasn't one of the Old Testament, if you will, prophets that they listed. People have always had opinions about who Jesus is. So Pastor Tim mentioned it in those connections in our huddle earlier, that when you talk to people, they'll give you all kinds of opinions about who they think that Jesus is. And the old saying is opinions are a dime a dozen. Jesus was not satisfied with that, so he pressed further and he said to them, but whom, whom say ye that I am? Now, He's bringing this in closer proximity. He's saying to people who had been with him night and day for a length of time and they saw him for who he really was. They were behind the curtain, if you will, the veil of someone's life. They were seeing the real Christ. He asked them, well, if they have all of these opinions and, and they have all these perspectives and ideas about who I am, who do you, the closest to me, who do you say that I am? I wonder if you know who I really am or have, have I been so long with you and you don't know who I am? S Simon said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou. Now you have to understand what Jesus recognized in the stand that Simon Peter took when he identified him as the Christ, the Messiah. Here is a, here is a man brought up in the Jewish community, educated, trained, imparted to the truths of the Torah. Here is a man like many others in that group of people who were looking for a Messiah that had been prophesied about, promised to come, and now this man boldly declares, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That, that took guts. That took a man that in one way parted with all of the traditions that pointed to it being someone else. And this man declares, you are the one that we have been looking for. And notice, notice what Jesus said in return. He said, blessed, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He said, I know that my Father has been talking to you. So you can always tell when God's talking to people. 
Because when God's talking to people, there will be revelation and there will be declaration and there will be a boldness that gets a hold of them that it doesn't matter what anyone else is saying or anyone else is doing this is what God's speaking to me and as a result I'll stand on that I'll stake my life I'll stake my reputation I'll stake everything on this and that's what Peter was doing he was staking everything on this and Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't give this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. I love that. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And finally, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Amen. I want to talk to you for just a little while today from this thought, the defining the defining of the church. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. The defining of the church. How many is thankful for the church? Amen. The church, many, many definitions. One, one definition in particular says to us that the church is the whole body of Christian believers. It is Christendom as a whole, complete, if you will. This is the church. So we are a local church here in Aurora, but we are not the complete and total uh, num number or sum of the church. The church is uh, universal. Amen. The church is uh, made up of many people in many different locations all over this uh, earth today. And we're thankful for that. The church is made up of previous generations that have already gone on to their reward. And the church will be made up of coming generations if the Lord tarries his return. Amen. The church, how many is thankful for the church of the living God? Amen. The uh, Greek word that we derive church from is ecclesia. The ecclesia is, in simple terms, the called out ones. Amen. A lot of people don't like to be called out on things, but when it comes to the church, I'm thankful he called me out. Amen. I'm thankful that he brought me out of a place that I was existing in, living in, and he brought me into something that is so much bigger and so much greater. Amen. I said, how many are thankful for the church? church of the living God. Praise God. Has the church made a difference in your life? Has the church made the difference in your life? Not just a difference, but the church, if it's made the difference in your life, I want you to give God a hand clap of praise. Come on. I'm thankful for the church of the living God. I don't know how many days, months, years you lived without being apart, but whenever that day came that you were called out, I know I look back on it and I thank God for the church of the living God. Amen. The thing that I see in, in uh, most situations, if not all situations, is when we come to the church, when we are called out, we come in need. We may not know our need, but we come with need. We may not be able to define what that need is, but we come with a need. Now, sometimes there are people that, that arrive at the church and it's obvious there are physical needs in their life. There are emotional needs in their life. There may be financial needs in their life. There's all kinds of needs, but underlying it all is there is a spiritual need for all. Amen. There is a spiritual need for every person that walks through the doors and enters into the atmosphere 
here where the church is offered to them. From our text here, we realize that you and I are his project. Everybody say his project. I know you're married to someone that maybe has assumed that role. Or perhaps you're living in the home with someone who is fulfilling that role that you are their project. But the truth of the matter is we are his project. We are the project of the almighty God. Amen. And I'm thankful that uh, the way he operates in our life is uh, without bias. He operates in our life without uh, control, if you will. He operates in our life in a merciful and a gracious in a redeeming way and that makes all the difference in the world and so uh, we are brought into this as the project of God and uh, we are now making up a significant I think probably the most significant entity on the face of the earth the most significant entity on the face of the earth is the church of the living God. There is no, there is no uh, business, there is no power, there is no government, there is no effort, whether that's in uh, medicine or in humanitarian relief that can even begin to compare to the church of the living God. Amen. It is the most significant, the most significant entity on the face of the earth today. It was founded by, somebody shout, our Savior. It was founded by our Savior and the church is ever expanding. It's ever expanding, it's growing, it is moving, it is reaching, it is not something stagnant or still or stopped along the way. That, that in and of itself is beyond comprehension that he started this some 2,000 years ago and it's still in effect, that it is still reaching, it is still touching, it is still moving, it is still making a difference, the church of the living God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for the church. Hey, you're a part of an amazing plan. You are a part of an amazing purpose. You are a part of an amazing promise. Jesus said, I will build my church. Amen. It wasn't a one time, one day, one moment effort, but this is something that spans generations of time and millennia of time. He said, I will build my church and he is still building it today. Just like he promised 2000 years ago when Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, good, blessed, blessed, blessed right here, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this but my father which is in heaven and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail is anybody glad that the devil can't win come on it's not a matter of he won't win he can't win he said he said the gates of hell shall not prevail Hey, you're a part of something that's not going under. You are a part of something that is not going to dwindle away. You are a part of something that will not fall apart and waste away. The gates of hell shall not prevail. I don't know of any other promise or any other place you could go where you get that kind of assurance. I don't know if your company, if your employer will stay in business a week from now, six months from now, a year from now, I don't know if our government will make some about face or continue down there. I don't know about any of that. But I know that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And I know that people appear on the scene and they pass away. But he said the gates of hell shall not 
prevail. Amen. You may have to pivot in your career. You may have to shift in your education. You may have to do a lot of things to move forward. But if you're a part of the church of the living God, what was here yesterday will be here today. And what's here today will be here tomorrow because we are a part of the church of the living God. And he said, I will build it and the gates of hell shall not prevail shall not prevail if you're going to be a part of anything be a part of the church if you're going to commit to anything be committed to the church if you're going to get on board with anything get on board with the church well I'll go do my own thing well you'll wake up a loser in this the church the church will remain the church will survive the church will continue to grow. Why? Because we have the master builder, amen, who said, I will build my church. He's building it today like he was in times past. And I'm thankful to be a part of the church. When it comes to defining the church, I want someone to leave here today with a better understanding of this. I wonder if I ask you the question, how many people here this morning feel like that you know with certainty what God intends for his church to be? If I were to take a poll here and, and you were to give me various answers, what you intend, what you think God intends for the church to be. There is no doubt in my mind that we would get many, many, many different conflicting opinions in this. Give me your answer to the question. That would be uh, really a multiplicity of responses that, that would come. Well, I think the church is supposed to be this and I think the church is supposed to be that and I think the church should be doing this and the church should be doing the other and, and everyone would most likely respond based on the needs present in their life. They want the church to minister to their situation and so the answers would come from that foundation and what would be surprising that to, to most of us is that many people feel uh, when they consider what the church is supposed to be, they would view the church in their response as a institution. The church is, is an institution and that very, the definition of the word institution could lead us down uh, many different roads of thought. But I, I want to, if I can, just narrow this down, narrow our focus for uh, one specific consideration for just a little while. There are many elements to, to the church and you can tell as Pastor Tim was talking earlier and, and, and Susan were giving us announcements, things that are coming up, field days and V groups and socials and back to school and there's all kinds of things. There are many elements, there are many elements to a, to a local church body, but I, I want you to understand there's really only one that should uh, hold true in our view, that an organization in many ways can promote moral values and the church does that. We, we promote that we live by moral values no matter what's going on in the world. We, we believe that, that the church should foster in its efforts law-abiding citizens that when you walk out of this uh, assembly, when you go to your life, do not be a liar, a cheater, an extortioner. Don't, don't be someone that is living a, a, a duplicity of lives. You're one thing here and something else when you go there. Be honest in your family. Be honest on your job. Put in a hard day's work. Do not, do not take advantage of, of people. And, and we could talk about abiding by the law. Some say, well, I'm going to come to this school and do what I want to. Well, 
Well, the school has asked us to, to do certain things. And so we're not about rebelling. We're not about trying to. Well, I don't agree with that. There's a lot of things that I don't agree with. But as a child of God, I've learned to be agreeable because I know that in the long run, there are some things that matter. Amen. And so the church, we could talk today about many of, of these things. And, and we, could, we could discuss starting and establishing uh, a community of betterment and projects that we ought to just all get involved with. And, and we should go and, and, and spend our time making better communities and better neighborhoods. And, and we should serve this element of society and, and, and I understand we, we should start various things and be involved in a lot of things but the word the word also here lends itself to something that's more permanent and something that's unmovable projects change laws change hello hello in the if you've lived very long you know that moral uh, input and moral view and morals have changed for a lot of people. What what uh, my parents that are gone on, their generation, what they stood for and the generation before them, we're living in a much different world right now. And so uh, you, you things shift and things are always changing and as a church we can get involved in the things that are always moving and what you'll find out is that they're, they're, you're never going to take care of it all you're never going to get it all fixed you're never going to get it all perfect and get it all right and everybody all on the same page forever it's never going we'll keep attempting what we can so we have to look at something that's more permanent something that's more in the unmovable area something that will last no matter what time and what culture we're living in and these are the principles and these are the core spiritual beliefs of truth truth but in our world today we have been called to serve in shifting times with a lasting truth people are really apt to jump on things that'll change you can't put much commitment in it because it's going to change quickly and here we are thrust in the middle of all that to say there are some things that never change when when we're so accustomed to changing we're we're so accustomed to looking for the next opportunity and the next and yet there are things that never change that abide and this is where I want to spend a little bit of our time here today it is my sincere belief that God would have his body shout the church to be a movement and not an institution. The church is, is to be a movement and not an institution. What happens when you institutionalize things? <laughs> there, there, there are many things that I could, could talk about, but the church wasn't designed to be institutionalized where it becomes cold indifferent stagnant lifeless unapproachable man I, I know that there are some who would agree with me here today that there are there are places that fill this community and fill this city and fill this area that you say it's a church but you walk in and it's cold and it's lifeless and it's indifferent and it's stagnant and it's unapproachable. And you say, if that is church, I don't want anything to do with it. If that's what, if that's what he went to Calvary to create, 
something so off-putting, something so outdated, something that's so institutionalized, something that's so controlled by the philosophies of men who say, I think the church should be this and I think the church should be that and I think we ought to do it this way. He wants his body to be alive. He wants his body to be approachable. He wants his body to be one that is able to be connected with. Not lifeless, not cold, not stagnant, not indifferent, but he wants there to be something alive, convinced that that there are causes, if you will, uh, that whatever the church, the body touches, something's going to change. Something's going to happen. Amen. If the church is truly being the church, then the community it's in will be touched and change will begin to happen around us. Amen. Because the church is not dead. The church is alive. Amen. And it's no more alive than when we walk out of the building. Amen. That we come congregate in and we start moving on our jobs and we start moving in our neighborhoods and we start moving in our friendships and we move in our connections and as we are moving through our lives this God of glory that is building this thing is flowing through us to minister to those we come in contact with that's what the church is supposed to be it's not just something that happens on Sunday at 1030 at a certain address but the church is something that happens every day all day wherever his people go that's the church it's a movement it's a movement it's not just an institution if you will somebody shout amen too many people that call themselves Christians come to a church concerned about what they can get out of it and Like I stated earlier, we come that way. But there is a transformation that happens in our lives where at some point it is no longer just about what I'm getting out of this, but it's now what I can give to others as I have received by being a part of this. Amen. Somebody shout amen. We get so focused on what we can get from God that we lose sight and the mindset that this is about being equipped to go out into our world and engage people, making a difference in someone's life and someone's situation. I wonder today, if you were to poll the individuals in your life, if they would say, you are affecting them in a way that they feel connected to a church because of you. Would anybody say that about you? That's why I'm preaching this. Because we should be able to list names of people who may have never walked through the doors of this school but they would feel that they are connected some way because of your relationship with them. Because of your influence in their life. Because of the prayer that you prayed over them in the break room when it was just a matter of a few moments and they said, I don't think I can make it. And you said, oh yeah, there's a God that can help you. What kind of difference are we making? We may, we may be against the thought of institutionalized, but I dare say that most of us are institutionalized in our mind. We're so concrete. We're so set. We're so caught up in checking the boxes. Went to church this week. Gave this week. Tried to live holy this week. Prayed a few moments this week, whatever your list is. How many lives did you touch this week? How many people are being affected because of your testimony? Because of what you received here, you carried there. You looked for that opportunity. 
See, that's, that's, that's the church. He said, I will build my church. How many of us are allowing him to work through us to build the church? The church is built by people who show up with needs. The church is built by people who walk in and God goes to work in their life. We all said, I'm thankful for the church, thankful for what he's done for me, thankful that it's made all the difference. It's made a difference. It's made the difference. We're not the only ones that need the difference to be made. We're not the only individuals that need a God to step in and go to work. Somebody was his extension into our lives. Somebody was his testimony into our lives. Somebody was his mouthpiece into our lives. Somebody was the hand and feet of Jesus into our lives. My question today is, are you doing the same for others who have yet to walk in? Let's talk about the defining of the church. That's why I'm, I'm here today. Are we truly what God wants us to be? Am I truly who God wants me to be? Am I truly doing the things that God wants me to do? And it should go without saying, but I want to direct your attention for a few moments to uh, verses in Matthew 22, just a few chapters later from the 16th chapter that I read to uh, uh, just a while ago. Matthew 22, 34 says this, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, They were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments he said these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets everything hangs on these two Hmm. see we are comfortable with what we have defined as the commission of God and it being great in fact we call it the great commission This is what he commissioned us to do. But Jesus called this commandment great. See, we we call the commission great, and he calls the commandment great. The commandment is love God first, love your neighbor second. And he said, this is great. So let me explain this. The commission that Jesus gave to all of us Those who are uh, adherents of his teaching was this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We say that's the, the great commission. But people will never go preach until they first love those they're preaching to. The reason we don't preach, the reason we don't testify, the reason we don't win, the reason we don't go after others is because we have a love problem. It's a condition of love. We love ourselves more than we love them. That's why we come and say, this is about me. What can I get? What can I receive? Because I love me and I want me to be taken care of and I want me to be ministered to and I want my needs to be addressed because I love this and not that. And he said, love them, love them. In In these two commandments here, he said, love God, love your neighbor. Where does loving yourself fall in those two? Well, I just got to learn to love me before I can ever do it. Some of us are too whacked up to ever love ourselves. You can't take enough medicine, see enough counselors, go through enough. I need a new relationship. I'm trying to find me. Quit worrying about you. When you start loving him and loving others, then you might come to a place where you can start understanding yourself. But the world says, put me first, put this first, 
And then everything else will just have to come after that if I get around to it. And God loves it and God's okay with that. Wrong. Wrong. He didn't even mention us in this. <laughs> he didn't even suggest, be good with yourself. Identify with who you think you are. Then you can be productive. <laughs> Some of us don't even know where we came from. We can't track it all down. We can't trace it all down. We can't say, well, I am the way because that. And listen, when we start moving us out of the picture and we bring him into the picture and we bring others into the picture, healing will begin to happen within us. Amen. Understanding will begin to transpire in us. We're chasing after things that I've met people who when they get to the end of that and the conclusion of this pursuit of their life, they're more miserable and they're more confused and they're more hurt than they were if they would have just left it all alone and loved God and realized that no matter who you came from or where you came from, you would not exist if it wasn't for him. Whether those parents are in your life or not, they did not give you life. He did. Well, if I can know them, I'll be good. No, know him and you'll be good. Know him and you'll be good. Know him and you'll be good. It was him that used that avenue to make the difference for who you are. So he gives us this command. Love God with all of these things and love your neighbor as yourself. I have no problem. You have no problem with quoting what Jesus said with this uh, these commandments, the problem is in doing it. My problem is not quoting it, repeating it. My problem is in actually doing it. How many knows that's the truth? My biggest problem is just doing what he commanded me to do. I can quote the verses. You can quote the verses, but, but let me explain here for, for a little while. The, the problem, the problem is not quoting it. The problem is obeying what Jesus said, doing what Jesus said. The commission finds its purpose. Go ye into all the world. The commission finds its purpose in and motivated by the commandment. If you don't first embrace the commandment, then the commission is meaningless. Why would I want to go into all the world? Why would I want to preach the gospel? Why would I want to support missionaries? Why would I want to teach a Bible study? Why would I want to give somebody an invitation to church? Why would I want to be concerned with anybody else's life? I'm going through this. I'm losing my job. I'm facing sickness. I have all these things. Why do I want to be involved in that? Because the motivation comes from the commandment. But if you don't embrace the commandment, you'll never understand the commission. The commandment is love him when you put him first the bible tells us to seek him seek his righteousness do that first and what did he say and all these other things shall be added it's him first it's our love for God first. It's our love for truth first. It's our love for this existing, if you will, never changing, permanent part of our life called mercy and grace and understanding and forgiveness and redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. Loving him, loving his word. He commanded us to do this and then loving our neighbor, here, here's where we fit in, as we love ourselves. See, we're third in the process. <laughs> but we like to leapfrog and be number one. And, and the deal is we never get past number one to work on two or three or anything else. So the commission goes unheeded. So I have to love God no matter what's going on in my crazy life, no matter what's going on in my crazy world, no matter what's going on. I can say this now because most of my family's dead. I, what's going on in my crazy family? 
I had a lot of craziness in my family. I, I'm not even going to go down the road to tell you how crazy our family is. Yeah. And it skipped my wife and I and, it, and our kids. <laughs> you heard her talking. She, remember, they'll never get one on over me. Never. It just doesn't happen. She's been trying for 26 years and it just doesn't happen. It'll never happen. I came from Grace Linnell Mitchell. She was always ready to respond. <laughs> you know how the Bible says, oh, be, be ready, always ready to give an account. My mother was always ready to give a response for anything. <laughs> so we all have craziness in our family. We have stuff that's going on. We have all kinds of, of things and issues and situations. But in the middle of all of that, when he becomes first, amen, we take all of that and we move it down that list of importance because if it could have been worked out, it would have been worked out in the previous generation. If it could have been worked out, it would have been worked out by somebody else. So you just have to live with the hand that you're dealt. But in all of that, you honor God first and love people without, without prejudice. Without religious condemnation. They, they tried that on Jesus. Well, they're not like us. And basically he said, well, who do you think you are? What he was trying to say is you've become an institution. And your institution is creating more damage than it is help. And so I am here to give, what he say? Life. What you've been offering is death. What you've been offering is cold. What you've been offering is unapproachable. What you've been in all of your religious activity. He said, but I have come to give you life and that life more abundantly. He wanted to start something that would touch and move and change and draw people in to a greater purpose and cause than what they could ever imagine. And everybody shout, amen. So without the commandment, the commission is of none effect. It's of none effect. The gospel cannot be communicated without first establishing significant connections, significant relationships with people. Well, I'm just wondering why nobody ever listens to what I say because you haven't taken the time to establish a relationship. You feel good carrying your family Bible around, thumping on it and sending everybody to hell and wondering why nobody likes you. Hello? Why not take time and establish a relationship? Why not take time and invite somebody to a park where there is games and there's a field day and there's snow cones and there's whatever else, cotton candy, and there's stuff going on this Saturday. I want them to come and hear the unadulterated word of God. Most of the time they can't handle the unadulterated word of God. I mean, I've had so many people through the years tell me, I'm so glad to be in this church because this is the first church I've been to in a long time where they preach the word. And I think to myself, you won't last long. Because <laughs> if you think you really want to hear the word, most of us are far from ever lining up and matching up to what the true word of God demands of our lives. Does it say it or not in Hebrews that it is quick? It is powerful. It is sharp. <laughs> yeah, you're going to come. If, if, if you don't want to be cut on and operated on and hit head on, you don't want the word of God because the word of God is going to come that way. But here's what happens. When someone establishes a relationship with you, they understand that if you are direct, if you are sharp, if you are, that you have their best interest at heart. The reason you can say what you need to say in a healthy family environment is because your children know that you love them first. Come on, I'm not just making stuff up. I'm not just trying to figure out something to say. I don't tell my children, well, they're grown people now. I don't tell these grown adults that live in my home. To go do stuff 
without first having established that I love them unconditionally. Hello, this should be, this sh you should be able to tie the two together. You want to know why some people can't handle what you're commissioned to go tell them? Is because they don't know first that you love them. When people know you love them, you care about them, you have their best interest at heart, they can handle whatever it is you need to say to them because they know that you're not about their destruction, you're not about their pain, you're not about their hurt, you're about their redemption, you're about their healing, you're about their health. And so this is how it's going to come about. So you establish relationships by bringing people to a V group. You establish a relationship over dinner, having prayer together, inviting them to a park, letting their kids see other kids that are having fun. And they realize, man, these people are not just Bible thumpers that are on the other side of the law and society and everything from where I'm living. I could care less what political differences we have. I could care less about the social and economic and all of the differences that are there. If we want to draw lines, we can, we can draw ourselves into a little place where there's nobody in our world but us. Hello? Hello, this Jesus, Jesus could have crossed swords everywhere he went, but Jesus was about Connecting, loving, touching, making a difference. Why? Because he was instituting a movement, if you will. He was starting something from an institution that had died and lost its purpose. So the church, I want you to leave here, like I said earlier, understanding what the purpose of the church really is. We can do a lot of things, but the purpose of the church is to fulfill the great commission to go and preach, go and teach, go and baptize. But I can't do that until I first respond to his great commandment of loving unconditionally. Churches that don't grow are churches that have love issues. Churches that don't see revival are churches that have issues of love. Churches that don't affect communities and don't expand are because they're not allowing this builder of the church to work through them in a love. Well, we're, this is all God. This is not all God wants. This is not. Some people would say, well, God, I believe God's happy with our little church. If you have a handful of people in a community of thousands of, of others, God is not happy with you. I don't care who you think you are or how long you've carried a license to preach in your back pocket. The church is expanding. The church is growing. And the gates of hell cannot stop it from happening when we carry the love of God out of the doors of our places of meeting. You know what people need more than anything else? They just need to be loved. You don't have to give them every... Put it on pastor. Let me teach them the word. You just love them into the body. And when you get them here through love, the word of God will find a place in, its, in their life. You'd say, well, I don't, I don't know how to do all this. Do you know how to love? If you don't know how to love, then start right there. Learn what it is to choose love over criticism. Love over judgment. Love over debate. Love over condemnation. Love over over difference, love over separation, love over all of these. If you love people, God will give you the things to connect on. God will lead you in ways to make significance and significant differences in other people's lives. I'm gonna stop here just momentarily. So I want you to go ahead and stand with me. Authentic relationships are not fake. Authentic relationships are not shallow. 
Authentic relationships are not meaningless. Authentic relationships take time to develop. They take time to settle in, especially in the world we're living in because everyone's so skeptical of the, of the, skeptical of the, of the, the next person. They have to see, people have to see that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful, that you are consistent, that you can be depended on. And it takes time to establish these types of friendships. And healthy relationships are not about abuse. If you're living in abuse or you're an abusive person, no matter what you've tried to convince yourself, you don't have healthy relationships and you're not a healthy individual and you need to get your life straight. Never treat anybody else in a different way than you want to be treated yourself. Do you want to be talked down to? You want to be judged? You want to be physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually taken advantage of? No. Then don't be the perpetrator in that. You're not healthy. And as as much as there are there's physical abuse that happens. There's a lot of spiritual abuse that happens. Man, I've met people that are spiritual abusers. They'll hurt people, judge people, condemn people, damn people. And feel justified in doing it. They'd rather you go to hell just so they can get it off their chest. Get it off their mind that you're not living the way you should be living. You're not doing what you should be doing. And bless God, I'm going to take care of it. Healthy relationships are relationships that are void of abuse. I want to strive to create and I pray that you will do the same thing create something outside of the four walls of this building if not we'll become so stagnant here we'll get so inward focused that we will forget that we are closer now to the coming and soon return of the Lord than we've ever been and what we're going to do for the Lord we've got to do it now we have to do it now If we've stagnated in our walk with God, we've become an institution and not a movement. And instead of God being able to move through us, He's just running into a brick wall with us. We refuse to love. We refuse to change. We refuse to embrace anybody else. We refuse to see it any other way. We refuse to give people the benefit of the doubt. And God keeps running into this saying, if you would just let me work through you, if you would just let me flow through you, there are people in your world that I can love and touch. There are many great institutions in the, in the world, but there's only one real church there's only one real church and I pray that you and I would understand our purpose in it all that we would make a difference Jesus literally looked at Peter when he made his bold declaration you're the one you're the one and he said upon this rock I will build my church.